0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: It's Light like the tower. Your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. Say goodnight to this one! And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports
2: talk in Austin, the Horn.
1: Are you ready for the madness? And, after all, will it really and truly be that maddening? It is, after all, NCAA tournament time. And we know what that means. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049-1019-AM1260. We're live, local and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us as we bring you the program from the capital of the state of Iowa. We're in downtown Des Moines where just a few blocks from where this program is emanating is the Wells Fargo Arena, where tomorrow, tomorrow evening to be exact, at 625, the Texas Longhorns tip off their bid for their own run of March Madness for the NCAA tournament when the Longhorns take on the Colgate Raiders. Glad to have you with us. Jeff Howe will join us uh, at the bottom of this hour and next hour also for Longhorn Notebooks. Jeff is also in Des Moines, but he's way across town over at the Media Hotel. By by the way, this is something you can almost almost always take to the bank. Um for me, uh I have uh had in the neighborhood of thirty uh thirty three I think NCAA tournament experiences. And uh I can tell you that in almost every occasion at least on the road anyway the media hotel they try to stick that as far away from the arena as possible for whatever reason I don't know I guess because they get the best deal whatever But Jeff's at the at the uh, uh, media hotel but he had apparently a long if not harrowing uh, uh, travel experience getting up to Des Moines so uh, he's going to check in with us for our Longhorn notebooks at the bottom of this hour and next hour so we'll We'll look forward to hearing from him on that. Uh, I'm, like I said, a few blocks away. I'm at the Longhorns uh, Team Headquarter Hotel here in Des Moines and a few blocks away from the Wells Fargo Arena. Our uh, producer, as always, Cameron Parker, who is behind the glass. Cam um, uh, called in to duty to co-host yesterday uh, because, remember, on Monday when we got done with the program, I said, my plans to be here tomorrow morning and fly up. Well, then – the plans uh, changed a little bit, were accelerated forward for the Longhorn men's basketball team to leave town on, uh, to yesterday, and so it was a 10 a.m. wheels up, so as a result of that, we were on the plane and headed out, so Cameron Parker held uh, held down the fort with Ty Henderson. How'd that go yesterday, uh, Cam? You and Ty known each other a while, your friends, uh how did it work with you guys kind of co-hosting the program yesterday?
3: Yeah, I think it went pretty well considering, you know, how late of a notice that you found out about your situation <laughs> and trying to figure out with Chad Hastings, our programming director, who was going to step in for you and Jed. I think it went pretty well. Um, it was a fun show. A lot of good uh, ties girlfriend with the Ole Miss. So when the Ole Miss news kind of broke oh, out, we got uh, out. We had some good sound bites on that. But all in all, it, it, was, a, it was a fun show. Okay. All right. Well, good. Glad to hear that.
1: Uh, and um, and and there's plenty to discuss. Obviously, tournament stuff will uh, will be quite a bit of it. Also, um, uh, we have a conversation with Brock Cunningham coming up. I visited with him to uh, talk about his experiences in getting ready for the NCAA tournament. Certainly, the he's not the only one. I started to say the old head of this Longhorn basketball team. He's not the only one. You know, when you think of all the the, the seniors that they have and and uh, all the veterans uh, that they have on this basketball team because you have Marcus Carr, you have Timmy Allen. Uh, Dylan DeSue is classified as a senior, although he could have a year of eligibility left if he chooses to use it. You got Sir Jabari Rice, you got Christian Bishop, and you got Brock Cunningham. So you got six guys that are either seniors, super seniors, or some would classify as COVID seniors or whatever. And then you have grad students, like Marcus Carr and Brock Cunningham, they're both grad students, and um, you know Carr Carr's eligibility is done at the end of this NCAA tournament run. Brock Cunningham's is not; he has another year to go, and he's already uh, made it clear he plans to return for that. He's in a he's in a uh, grad studies program in uh, advertising, so um, he's having a good time. And we'll visit with uh, Brock Cunningham uh, coming up here in just a few minutes. But uh, it's it's the next step, the next opportunity, clearly, uh, for the Longhorns in this NCA tournament, and uh, there are always pitfalls, as we know, uh, with the tournament. The Longhorns themselves certainly is big a victim of it, just about as anybody. I mean, last year, I mean, two years ago, when Texas lost to Abilene Christian, the Longhorns were a three seed, and Abilene Christian was a fourteen. There were bigger upsets, most notably, the fifteen seed. Or Roberts being the two-seat Ohio State. So it does happen, uh, and it happens more than you think. Uh, but when you're on the business end of that, it it just it, it seems all the more painful. That's what it was like for Brock Cunningham and Texas two years ago. So uh, toward that end, it is also very, very apropos at this time of year to have people list – what are the the upset alert, upset watch, uh, the ones that could be uh, the biggest upsets in the first round of the NCAA tournament? Because you only get one shot to do that, and th- and you got to have that all in the can by Thursday morning, if not earlier. So there's there there's more than one. There's several different uh, takes from people who cover the game and write on the game and broadcast the game about what uh, could be one of them. And I'll run down one of the list. I I heard. Uh, I had heard Aaron do one of those this morning with B&E. Uh, I guess he was doing the one with on three uh, sports, and it w- and it listed the Texas uh, Colgate game as being one of those games. And certainly everything's, it, it, everything's on the table, uh, given uh, the veteran team that Colgate is, the way they shoot threes, the way they defend, uh, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, the The particular list I'm looking at does not include the Texas Colgate game on it, but it does have other ones. As well, but you have to be ready. Fifteens have beaten c twos. it twos it it does happen. so I mean the ones that you know you think about that really come to mind uh, off the top of my head here's here's the fifteens that come to my mind uh, one of the earliest ones was Richmond beating Syracuse in 1991, and uh, I remember that because I was in Minneapolis for Westwood one or at the time cBS radio NCAA radio network. And uh, I was doing games in the uh, Metrodome. And, uh, in, and uh, Syracuse falling to uh, Richmond was one of the big things. It sent shockwaves around the Metrodome. I remember that in, uh, in Minneapolis. That was one that came to mind. Uh, clearly, the, the Hampton over Iowa State in 2001 comes to mind. I told the story last week of uh, Bill Schoening and I being in New Orleans to call uh, Texas in the NCAA term Turned out to be the final game, final Texas Longhorn basketball game that Bill Schoening did because he left uh, after that season, obviously, to uh, become the uh, voice of the San Antonio Spurs. And it was a 15 – it was it was not a 15-2 loss, but it was a loss in the first round. Texas was the sixth seed and lost to um, Temple, the eleven seed, in the Louisiana Superdome and had about – it was an eleven AM tip and there were about two thousand fans in the building. That was in that gigantic arena uh there in in the morning and uh, Texas lost that game. And that was the um that was an eleven beating a six, but that night you had Hampton beating Iowa State. That was a fifteen beating a two. Uh that certainly comes up. Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, remember the great run they went on to get to the sweet sixteen, and that included beating Georgetown that was a 15 beating a two um, so uh, those kinds of upsets definitely do happen and 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 the Longhorns are well aware of it and, and being around the team yesterday uh, there is a um, there's a calmness there's a businesslike approach to it uh, but there's also a confidence as well and today the Longhorns go through uh, the things that you do the day before, the NCAA tournament begins. You, um, uh, they, had, they had breakfast a little while ago. The, they're going through a film session right now. They will uh, then go over to, I think it's Handel University here in Des Moines and have a full-on regular, full practice. Yesterday when the team got here, they went over to Drake University and had a full practice practice at Drake University yesterday inside of Drake's practice facility of course Drake is in the NCA tournament they're trying to pull one of those twelve over five upsets and I and, and we'll get to these like I said we'll roll through the bracket uh here in a little bit and and talk about some of the upsets that can happen but uh they they had a they had a practice inside of Drake's practice facility uh then uh, came back and had more meetings and uh had a team meal last night and then and then uh, some more. Uh, some more video study and then and then off to bed. So that's that's kind of the way it happens on the road. And uh, today they'll have the practice over I think it's handle like a door handle h a n d l e not handle as in like handles Messiah, you know, the the choral thing but uh handle university. So they have that, then they'll go over to the Wells Fargo Arena. Each team gets 40 minutes on the floor just to get used to the rims and uh, the back shooting backdrop in the arena and things like that, and uh, Ronnie Terry uh, points out you know where the scoreboards are for the team to look at when they first get around there, and uh, and then and then you know where they come in, where their bench is, stuff like that. Just some of the basic things. Then they'll have they'll have forty minutes where they're just basically just shooting, getting loose. Um, it, I guess it was a couple of days ago. We had uh, Rob Lazar on, the Longhorns' longtime equipment manager, on and uh, talking about the uh, the journey he had up here bringing all the equipment. There was something I did not know that happened not long after he got off the air with us. Because when he got off the air with us, the truck that the uh, box truck that he was driving um, uh, with with a lot of the equipment was around Waco. The truck broke down in Denton and they had to get another truck. They got another truck. He finished the drive to Kansas City late Monday night, and then uh, yesterday brought the truck on in. So Rob will have all the equipment over there at the arena, and since Rob has been there, one, one of the things they do is they carry uh, an abundant supply, an extra supply of burnt orange T-shirts and with Texas logos on them. And when the shoot-around is done, They'll have the players go and toss shirts into the stands, at, at, all the way around. Uh, don't know that it necessarily engenders any extra hometown fan support. I, you know, I, I think of uh, 2008 coming to mind when they played in Little Rock, and you, and, and of course it was in Arkansas, so the fans were going to boo them anyway. But um, but they did but they did you know toss T-shirts up there and fans appreciated that and they'll do it again today I'm sure so they'll have their practice there and then and then uh, you know their final preparations that night and then get ready for game day tomorrow so uh, that's that's part of it the, um, uh, the as I mentioned of course one of the veterans is Brock Cunningham and uh, the local product out of Westlake as we know and uh, he's in his uh, fifth year in the program. His first year in the program, we were talking about this before we uh, recorded the interview yesterday. The the uh, first, first year of the program was the NIT season for Texas. He was redshirting that year. So he's seen a lot with this program. And uh, we had an opportunity to sit down and visit and just talk about Uh, his approach to this tournament, that of his teammates, his experiences as a college basketball player. Here's my conversation uh, that I had yesterday evening with Brock Cunningham. To say that the NCAA tournament never gets old is kind of a tried-and-true, cliched phrase, but it's not like you've had a ton of NCAA tournament experiences. So every one, I would imagine, has to be special.
2: Yeah, you know, I've had, you know, the – opportunity to be there during covid out of covid um and each year it's just it's something you'll remember for the rest of my life I remember being in Indianapolis I remember being in Milwaukee and I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life so it, it, there is magic every time you go you made a point at
1: the postgame press conference and you even said it to us on the air in the postgame interview that I remember 2 years ago when things were going well and we won this tournament and we were a 3 seed and then you said that terrible thing happened there in Indianapolis is that something you've already said to your
2: teammates is that something you talk about to your teammates about keeping the the eye on the prize Yes yeah, so our first brat- first practice back in Austin was something that I vocalized to the rest of the guys that winning the Big 12 is awesome there will be a banner you know we'll be we'll have it for the rest of our lives but we're we're hunting for something bigger so we put that in the past and focus on having the best practice getting ready for this first game.
1: Would you say that this group because there's so many of you uh, shall we say more experienced guys uh, on the team makes it perhaps a little bit easier to get the younger guys to make sure they understand and buy in about what it takes once you get to this particular stage.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and that's been the case all season through the adversity and the, that we've had to deal with just having the older guys to help lead our young core guys that have given us a lot down the stretch this season.
1: Okay, so you know, folks are already looking ahead, what could be A&M or Penn State, blah, 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 and I know you guys have, have really been dialed in on Colgate, a, a team that can shoot threes from anywhere in the building. How, how, what kinds of challenges does that present for you guys defensively on defending the arc?
2: Oh well they they have a lot of motion offense. They're experienced players that have played in the NCAA tournament before, so they're not gonna be scared of the moment. They've won big games this year. They're well coached. It's a really well rounded team.
1: In terms of enjoying the experience, balancing it against the work that has to go in, what's the key to doing
2: that? Oh, you gotta stop and smell the roses. That's the beauty of March and March Madness and reaping the benefits of a great of a so far good season to put us in this position but knowing that there's more that the you know that it can get sweeter that you know the scene does get bigger and that we are looking for a national championship that's
1: it i i like what he said there at the end it, you know stopping and smelling the roses enjoying the moment there for being in the tournament understanding that that it can be all the sweeter that there's so much more that can be attained uh, from this, depending on the approach and the work and all of those sorts of things. So uh, that was the the conversation with Brock Cunningham. Uh, Texas women are, uh, you know, going through their preparations, and it's a little bit different when you are hosting NCAA tournaments. Of course, you know, they they stopped allowing men's teams to host uh, the tournament Years and years ago, uh, I want to say the real flashpoint moment of it where the NCAA drew so much criticism for allowing a team to play on its own home floor, true home floor, in a meaningful game came uh, in 1984 when Kentucky got to play in, uh, you know, it was only like I think two years old if that Rupp Arena and got to play a Sweet 16 and Elite Eight game in there, and ended up beating uh, Illinois, uh, something like 54-51. It was like a really close game, and it was it was one of those deals where obviously the 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 arena was bathed in blue, and uh, they got a lot of criticism for that. The NCAA did for allowing a team to play in its home arena in an elite eight game so they changed the policy and it it, it coincided also with the bracket moving the 64 teams in 1985 uh, about not allowing team to play on its true home floor now you can play pretty close to it uh you know uh there was uh, Alabama is playing in birmingham that's an hour away uh, in its first round games it was largely you know, we've seen ACC teams like Duke and North Carolina play in Greensboro, which is a little over an hour away, or uh, right at an hour away from those from those two programs. And uh had it was thought that Kansas was probably gonna play here in Des Moines, and they are. They're play but they're not playing in Kansas City because they've been slotted into the West region. And it has been, you know, Offered up is the theory that that's what losing to Texas in the Big 12 championship game did to Kansas in terms of their number one seed status. Kept them a number one, but not high enough a number one to be able to play uh, in Kansas City. Instead, they're slotted into the uh, West region in Las Vegas, and then would go out there. A lot of different things go into factoring all that stuff for the NCAA tournament selection committee. So teams can still play clearly close to home, but not on their true home floor for NCAA tournament. That's on the men's side. On the women's side, it's different because, uh, you know, a lot of it's attendance-driven and things of that nature, and they allow the top four seeds in each region, the top 16 teams, as determined by the tournament selection committee, to play at home in first and second round. And Texas wound up as a four seed. They're in what's called the Seattle Four regional because there's only two Uh, full-on Sweet 16 slash Elite 8 regional sites. There's only two of those where they would have two regionals in each city. Uh, One is Greenville, South Carolina, where they have Greenville, you know, one and two, and then Seattle, three and four uh, for Seattle. And the Lawyers are slotted to play in that one in Seattle if they advance. But they're going to have to win two games to do it. They play East Carolina Saturday night at 9 o'clock. And uh, and then after they play 9 o'clock Saturday night, if they win, they would play on Monday night for the right to go to the Sweet 16. Longhorn Baseball uh, won its sixth straight game last night, beating North Dakota State 7-2. to uh, Charlie Hurley did well out of the bullpen, wound up uh, getting the win. The Longhorns are starting to hit a lot more. And I know, I, I understand completely the caliber of uh, opponent they're playing, but it's helping them get more consistent as well, the schedule, with terms of uh, things like the the game inside the game, the the um, hit and run, the steal, uh, fielding cleanly, uh, those those kinds of things, all of the routine things that good baseball clubs do, and where Texas is trying to get. So they won again last night. Uh, they have one more game tonight against North Dakota State, and uh, tonight is the halfway point, the midway point. Of the 14-game homestand, so uh, they the game number seven of the 14-game homestand, and they're six and zero so far, and they'll play North Dakota State tonight. And if they uh, win that contest, then they would be seven zero at the midway point, going into a weekend series with New Orleans. Then they have a midweek next week against Incarnate Warden. And then then it's really for real. They start playing uh, Big 12 conference games with a Big 12. Conference opening series against Texas Tech to close out that 14-game homestand. So they do play tonight at UFC Udish Fog Field. It's a game you can hear here on the horn. Uh, our good friend Ty Harrington will join Tom Barfield for the call. Uh, 615 airtime at a 630 first pitch. All right, coming up here, we'll, uh, we'll check in with Jeff Howe, find out how he's holding up after a uh, long and arduous day of travel. You know, I had somebody – said to me, I've never had an easy time getting to Des Moines. I just I've had <laughs> have lots of issues to try to get up here and uh and it, it could be that way. And I know uh also our friend Roger Wallace has uh, from KXAN has Jonathan Thomas coming up here to cover the tournament and he had a flight cancel on him or was very delayed and it was gonna force him to miss his connecting flight in Chicago. I mean those things happen this time of year. I'm looking outside there's snow everywhere up here. Uh, I mean, it's warming up. The temperature uh, up here today will be in the 40s, and uh, so it's 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 warming up a little bit here. In fact, it's 40 degrees right now. They say the high could reach 51 today. Yeah. And then tomorrow it'll be down in the forties and then Friday it'll be the high will be thirty-two with a low of nineteen. And if the if the Longhorns advance to the second round on Saturday, the low is twelve degrees and the high is twenty five. So it's it's still winter up here, uh in in Des Moines, Iowa. But uh coming up we'll check in with Jeff Howe. And uh, see how his his travel has gone. We'll get some thoughts uh, from him as well during this uh, during our Longhorn Notebook. We do have inconceivable coming up. Cam, do you remember when we talked about when Jeff and I, when you first started uh, back a few weeks ago when we when we revealed to you as as our audience already knew what our uh, irrational fears were. Uh, about you know being attacked by do you do you remember you remember what Jeff Jeff's irrational fear is right?
3: Jeff is was it robots right? And yep. yours is primates.
1: Yep, okay. yep, 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 yep. His is robots. Uh, the robot wars, which he says is inevitable and will happen. Mine's primates. Got a primate attack story. You know. Mm. Um, so so anytime you know we, we I know we're very fond of the Florida man stories. But we're getting get we're starting to get more Oklahoma woman stories. So uh, we've got that coming up um, with some other things as well. So that's still to come here on Light the Tower from Des Moines, Iowa, in the capital of the great state of Iowa. Uh, Jeff Howell will join us. Cam Parker is the producer. I'm Craig Way. And this is Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app at hornfm.com. would that we could have a summer breeze here in Des Moines. I'll just have to let Seals and Crofts make me think about it because uh, we're a few months away from summer breezes up here in Des Moines, I can tell you that. Winter chill. But the heat up of the NCAA tournament, which brings us to our Longhorn Notebook.
2: Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook.
1: Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Erin Bowersock, your home loan expert, your Longhorn lender. See if Erin can do for you what she did for Linda and me, and that was to help get our home loan approval turned around in a snap. She is, after all, the person who can make that home loan approval guarantee in 10 days or less a reality. Check her out on the web at bowersockteam.com, B-O-W-E-R-S-O-C-K, bowersockteam.com. Across town, sequestered in the media hotel, is my co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County, and a proud graduate of Florence High School. You know him best for his outstanding work at Horns 24-7. That's Jeff Howe, who's up here for Horns 24-7 uh, to uh, cover the long ones, as well as to be a part of this program. Uh, I had teased the program, Jeffrey, by mentioning the fact that you had a long and arduous travel day to get up to Des Moines. That seems to be commonplace with folks going to Des Moines. Uh, is that ultimately how it played out for you?
0: That's accurate. By the way, I'm in Urbandale. I decided to skip out on the media hotel. uh, Oh, wow.
1: You're even further out. You're in Urbandale.
0: (laughs) stay, Stay a little further out, rent a car. And, uh, so I don't have to worry about shuttling back and forth or Ubers or whatnot. I can kind of do my own thing. So an air an air high five to you in the hotel downtown from Urbandale is what I'm doing right now. So I'll see you yeah. in a little bit. But no, yeah. I uh, you know there the, be the 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 three gate change and the uh, hour plus delay in Charlotte yesterday was was lovely. As you said earlier, there's no easy way to get here. So you know then that whole deal changing time zones always throws me off just for a little bit. You know, the body clock's all out of whack. But uh you know, and then by the time, you know, when you're that late and then by the time you get to the hotel, you get unpacked, you get all your stuff sorted, you unwind, you look at the clock, you're like, dude, it's one o'clock. Like I I I gotta get some sleep. So yeah. <laughs> little long travel day, but
1: I'm I'm ready to rock and roll today. Well, I'm glad that you now you did not have to miss a flight because of it, correct? Uh connecting correct. or flight yeah. or anything? Yeah. Because, uh, and like I said, I'll get the details from Roger. Jonathan Thomas was going to go through O'Hare. Never a really good option this time of year, I might add. Uh, but that was that was, that was was the way they were booked. And his flight out of Austin to O'Hare got delayed at least by an hour. And Roger said he's going to miss his connecting flight at O'Hare to Des Moines. So I'm sure Jonathan eventually got here, but it, it couldn't have been easy. By the way, while it's fresh on my mind, uh, very close to where you are stationed very close to where you are sequestered is a place called the machine shed and it's one of the best breakfast places you could ever go to so just,
0: the machine just, shed okay yep
1: to, yep it it's, in morning. it's in urbandale it's in Urbandale it was a it was a particular favorite spot for our uh, late producer Bill Harwell when we uh, longhorn football they when we were staying with the team out at that Marriott West Des Moines way the heck out there we'd go to the machine shed it's a great you know home cooking breakfast kind of thing just j- just think of it as a a really uh, more homier bigger better brighter and tastier version of like cracker barrel that type of thing but it's it's, it's I got you okay yeah yeah, it's good. I'll
0: check that it's, out. Yeah, what yeah. I've I realized, Craig, about the state of Iowa, every everybody wakes up early. Like, stuff is open early. But, you know, yeah. if you don't get something to eat by, you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, you're just SOL.
1: Yeah, you miss out. You do. it's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a good point. Uh, I got out the hard way last night. Oh, yeah. I imagine so. All right. So so you did get in here. Uh, t- today is uh, is press conference, and – and uh, and shoot-around day, so to speak, the open practice day, that sort of thing. I know you'll be over there for that. But what else we have here uh, cooking on the notebook?
0: Yeah, so I'll get to some hoops next hour because I've got some numbers and, and a couple of things on my colleague in 24-7 sports uh produced in the last couple of days that I think are really interesting, some good numbers to look at. But I want to make sure we get our football fixed. You know, sure. Longhorns are, are off this week for spring break, but I want to make sure we get our football fixed. Can we got we got these cuts ready to roll? Yes, sir. That's, that's why you're the best, Cam. Uh, Cam doing an awesome job uh, back there while Craig and I are both uh, out, uh, out and about. But So this first cut that we'll hear, uh, this is Steve Sarkisian. Uh, this is for Sark's media availability. This is last Friday. This is the last time we've heard from Sark or anybody in the 40. Obviously no availabilities this week with nobody on campus. But, uh, you know, this team has talked, Craig, already about trying to make that transition to being a player-led team and it's going to take more of a collective effort. Jalen Ford talked about this last week. It's going to take more of a collective effort to to make up for the leadership that you're losing with guys like Roshan Johnson, Keandre Coburn,
1: guys, Jamar V.
0: guys that were big time leaders for you. It's going to take a collective effort. And, and you know, it, it, this time of year, spring ball is about guys realizing that, hey, it's my turn to sit at the head of the table, so to speak. I just think this is a really cool story Sark tells about Xavier Worthy being a guy taking that next step in terms of player leadership. To
3: have a guy like that teach.
4: It's really big. Like there was a there was a really cool moment today in practice that we were in a team run period where John Table was still trying to figure out like are we you know, like do I block this safety? You know, I mean I gotta go down here and I gotta block, you know, Keaton Crawford who's storming down and, and get this block done. And then Xavier and Jordan talked to him like I mean, we've got to go block that guy, and then we go to the next period. Xavier has the same block, and he goes in there and puts his face on him and blocked him. And I celebrate it because that's growth for Xavier. But that's also a living example for Jonte of what it looks like and how to do it. And that's the idea when you have veteran players showing the way for the younger players how to do it. And I think that's where we're kind of at now as a program that our veteran guys know what and how and why. And now they can be sometimes that voice for the younger players that doesn't always have to come from us as coaches.
0: I think the key thing there, Craig, is guys finding their own voice and finding their way to lead. You know, not everybody can lead the way Roshan Johnson did. And, you know, we go to past Texas teams, not everybody can lead the way that, that Brian Arakpo or, or Roy Miller or, uh, you know, Kenny Vaccaro, not everybody can lead that way. Guys have to kind of figure it out. You know, Bijan, I think, really turned the corner from that standpoint last year. I John's way to lead was was, was propping guys up and, and being positive and kind of positive reinforcement when, when things aren't going right. You know, some guys are, are the rah-rah guys that, that want to holler a lot. And, and to do that, it's hard to be that guy. You've got to be one of the best players on the team. But guys, it's, I think about guys finding their own voice. And some guys are really good lead by example guys. And maybe that's you – know, this is a small way of showing Xavier Worthy is is kind of finding his own way to lead. But that's – I don't want to make it sound like it's cliche or coach, speak, but if you want to be a player-led team, that's the kind of stuff that gets you there, Greg.
1: Well, and, and it has to be organic, and I think that's what got Sark excited yeah. about that, that it was really organic, that that's X telling him, yeah, you got to pick up that guy, you know, so on and so on. That's not – it doesn't have to be every single snap. Uh, you know, direction given by the coach, the assistant coach, the position coach, or the head coach. It doesn't have to be that way and, in fact, shouldn't be that way. There comes a point where that has to step up. And and when you see a guy like an upperclassman now in Worthy, you know, uh, uh, imparting that information to an incoming true freshman, a talented one who's looking for his own snaps and playing time at the very same position, that's growth in a football team.
0: No doubt. Uh, We'll stay on offense. Malik Murphy's foot injury has been a really big topic of conversation throughout the first week of spring practice. I just felt like it was worthwhile to hear this cut from Sark just on how he's helping Malik Murphy get through this kind of tough transition where, you know, the three practices we were out there for, Craig, uh, Malik was just kind of having to stand there, arms folded and observe. And, you know, it's really good work for Archie Manning right now. We've talked, you know, I've kind of beaten the horse to death about. Uh, you know, the bad, the need for a backup quarterback, the fact that you've got to develop a backup quarterback, but this week, this week might be more critical. And Sark will get into it right here in this cut. This will be critical, more critical for Malik Murphy than maybe anybody else in the program. What happens this
4: week? Off week. I think his spirits are actually really good. I talked to him right tonight or today um, before we were coming off the field, you know, this, this spring break is going to be big for him to get himself healthy enough to get back on the grass and start practicing again um you know he'll be staying in town and and rehabbing um as you all know I mean I I love Malik you know I think he's got great upside and I saw a lot of growth in him at the end of last season. And I thought he had a really good winter conditioning. He had a little bit of a setback. Um, but that doesn't mean that all of a sudden now he's he's forgotten. You know, I, I can't wait for him to get back out there and show what he can do, because I do think that that he's a, he's a really good player. He, he's, a, he's got a great personality, leadership qualities, uh, but very physically gifted as well. So um, looking forward to getting him back out there, because like I said, competition is the best thing you have going for for yourself, especially in spring ball. You know, when, when when the guy another guy at your position is playing well, man, that should push me to want to be even better and know what to do and how to do and and make that throw or make that catch or make that tackle. So we need him out there. We, we need that competition to be healthy at quarterback.
0: Just- yeah, I, you know, I don't want to sound like a broken record, Craig, but the need to develop a backup quarterback. Like I said, Sark has had to go to the backup by game three each of the last two years. So whether it's Arch, whether it's Malik, uh, you've got to develop one. I really think if, if Malik Murphy can't go, if you get to Monday and, and he's still dealing with the foot issue, um, not that you're not expediting Arch Manning's development or really working on developing him, I think at that point, you, if you're A.J. Milley and you're Sard, you, you might just have to say, full go, hey, Arch, you know, and I think this is – this is one of the things I dig about Sarge Craig. He hasn't said anything relating to Arch and playing time where he's backed himself into a corner. And he hasn't said he's certainly going to redshirt. He hasn't said he's certainly going to play. But if you feel like Malik Murphy's still dealing with this foot issue coming off the break and you know you don't you don't know if it's going to get any better, at that point you've got to start preparing Arch to be QB2 this year. So that's that whole dynamic is going to be really interesting to watch how it plays out. I know – People want to talk about can Arch push clean Ewers and, and whatnot? And that's a whole different ball of wax that, you know, I don't really care to go into at this point. But, and early. you've got to develop a backup. Yeah, you got to develop a backup quarterback. And I think at the very least, you've got to get Arch ready to roll for that. Uh, speaking of folks, the last name. And, Murphy, and, and by the way, Jeff,
1: uh, Jeff, one other thing. Yeah. Ben Ballard's not walking through that door, folks. You know, so <laughs> I'm just, just saying, you know, for a backup quarterback, you know. In fact, the, the, the number he wore is the number being worn by Arch Manning now, 16. So Ben Ballard's not walking through that door, folks. Just, just want to remind you as the well, as okay. the work continues for developing a backup quarterback.
0: Cole Lord and Charles Wright are still getting reps, Craig. So well, that's, that's not, true. That's not completely. To quote the great Bill Parcells, have you have you fired the other two, or do they still have a chance to compete? <laughs> so it's, uh...
1: I guess, well done.
0: I guess we'll uh, – we'll, and I think you might have addressed your colleague Rick Renner, your old colleague Rick Renner, when saying that. But I did. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> like I said, Speaking of guys with last name Murphy, uh, you know, Jalen Ford said Byron Murphy's ready to be the breakout star. After Pro Day last week, I, I was talking to Moro Ojimo and, and he said, you know, Byron Murphy's just a total package. Guys on the team kind of call him an Aaron Donald starter kit. and That's the internal talk. That's not coming for me, but – uh, you know, Sark was asked on Friday, hey, what is it about Byron Murphy? What makes this guy so special? And Sark gets into it right here, why everybody in the program seems to be really high on Byron Murphy right now.
4: Yeah, I love Murph, man. He, uh, you know, I would say for a guy who wasn't a frontline starter, he was definitely impactful for us when he played. You know, he's very disruptive, he's strong, he's powerful. And the thing I'm seeing from him now is, is the leadership is starting to come out. You know, all of a sudden two older guys leave, who else is stepping up? Trevondre Sweat, uh, Byron Murphy, two guys that have have kind of taken the bull by the horns there and and, um, doing a nice job. So, uh, Murph, Murph, uh, again, I think he's going to have a heck of a year for us. He's working hard, I think he's wired right. You know, he's got a real mentality about him. He's he's tough, he's physical, Uh, he wants to be really good, and he works at his craft.
0: Yeah, Craig, if you start looking at the numbers from Pro Football Focus, the only defensive tackle, interior defensive lineman Texas that last year that graded out higher than Byron Murphy was Mauro Adelmo. I mean, Murphy was graded out higher than Tavondre Sweat, graded out higher than Keondre Coburn, everybody on the defensive line. And one thing that, I, I, you know, I didn't realize, and I, I think it just shows the, the talent of the depth Texas has at that position. I didn't realize Byron Murphy played almost 400 snaps last year. I mean, wow. Byron Murphy had a lot more snaps than, than Morrow, Jumbo did. Yeah, Murphy's at 393, a Jumbo 376. Uh Sweat actually ended up playing the most the most reps out of anybody on the interior line at 463. Uh, and then Keandre Coburn's at 413. So, Murph's snap counts were really, really high last year. And, again, I just think that speaks to that in and of itself, Craig, speaks to how good he was. There were times where, I mean, you had two guys that were seeing a really good chance to get drafted. When Murphy was in there, you didn't notice any drop-off. And, honestly, at times, he was maybe a little bit more disruptive than either of those guys were. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, that was a take that when the previous staff was able to flip him, you just looked at that and said, yeah, that, that seems like one that they're going to feel really good about here in a couple of years. And I know you saw quite a bit of him at DeSoto, Craig. I, I just think Byron Murphy is, is primed to to be that next guy. You know, we talked about, can Alfred Collins make that step? Uh, you know, you still got Vernon Broughton there. You know, I asked Sark last week about Jare Bledsoe and the progress he's making. But uh, I think really this year what, what Ojimo and Colburn were for last year's defense, uh, I think Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy are going to be that for, for the defense in 2023. It's just as like yeah. two two stalwart interior guys that are really disruptive and can help you uh, affect the quarterback.
1: Uh, let's see. So uh, next hour we uh, we've got uh, we've got some uh, basketball stuff from you.
0: Yeah, we'll get the hoops. We'll kind of we'll take a look at Colgate and uh, kind of their statistical profile. <laughs> And uh, I've also got some some Marcus Carr slash Jabari Rice numbers that I've found really really interesting. I want to check? Them oh, out. Oh, good.
1: All right, all right. Uh, I'll uh, I'll let you uh, reconnoiter coming up here uh, at the bottom of the uh, the next hour from uh, from lovely Urbandale. That's Jeff Howe uh, out there. So uh, we'll we'll check in with again uh, next hour, Jeff. Uh, we'll do that. All right. Uh, oh, hey Jeff. Before you go. I just, I, uh, yeah. Are you still with me? All right, I'm, I'm getting re- I'm getting ready to do inconceivable, and we all know what 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 your innate fear is you the inevitability of the robot wars that you say I
0: mean, it's uh, not it's not an innate fear I mean it's a rational fear It's going to happen but continue.
1: Okay, all right. So uh, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and do this one even before the break and before we get into the other deal because Jeff needs to hear this. Because when we com- when we compare our irrational innate fears, you know what mine is. So, uh, uh,
0: can we get a bed? Can we get a bed right here? I don't feel right doing an inconceivable story without some kind of bed. Can you know, we get, get, get uh, something? Something.
1: To I, 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 I've just got to. I, I got to tell you, Jeff, Dateline, Dixon, Oklahoma. Yeah, and, and I mentioned this at the start of the program. You know, I know we're fond of Florida man stories. We've been getting more and more Oklahoma woman stories of late. So we've got this one uh, from Dixon, Oklahoma. The
0: two, the two are the two are more related than you would think. does turn yeah.
1: out, but yeah, you know. yeah. And this is Carter County. This is like between Ardmore and Norman. You know, going up that way, uh, or say Ardmore and Paul, Paul's Valley. A Carter County County woman says she was attacked and injured by a neighbor's pet monkey while in her own front yard on Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Now, now here's here's the real hook on this deal. Dixon police say the 911 call was the most unusual calls they've ever received. You think? Um, She said, I was sitting here in this exact spot, and then I looked out the window, and there was a monkey looking at me. Said victim Brittany Parker. I took a second glance and said, Oh my God, there's a monkey on the front porch. And then she said she was stunned. She said, quote, The monkey was trying to get into my house. The little button that you push in on the screen door, he broke it off. I was literally hanging onto my door trying to hold it closed. So then she called police. The officers show up. She goes outside, and that's when she gets attacked. She goes out to talk to the police and says, quote, he jumped up on my back and landed on my head. He started grabbing handfuls of hair and just ripped it out. He ripped my ear almost completely off my head. The monkey ran off after the attack. Here's Please. the ac- here's the exact quote from the Dixon police chief, Tim Duncan. As we were looking for the primate, two shots were fired. The shots came from the area of the victim's residence. Officers went back in the house and found that a family member of the victim shot and killed the primate. Stop me if this sounds like it's Oklahoma. Uh, Parker and police say they didn't know someone had a pet monkey in city limits. Friends of the monkey say his name was Jack. Jack the monkey. Uh, It was all very scary, she said. It was very traumatizing. She can't work. She's going to need plastic surgery to fix her ear and is worried about the family's safety. Uh, they, uh, police say having the monkey is not illegal. Uh, so, uh, investigators say they'll turn the story over to it. see I, I, I'm, that's the reality. The fact that the monkey was looking at her and making the rational decision or making the, the decision in its mind to attack her. That's the kind of stuff that not makes me crazy. It. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah.
0: did, did or did not? Do you remember when Des Bryant had that pet monkey? Didn't he release that monkey into the wild? He did. I wonder if this is. I wonder if that was. I wonder if that was Dallas Bryant. If he made his all, his made his, his way up to Oklahoma. And this this person just took him in and
1: made him renamed a pet. him Jack. Jack the monkey. Yeah. Uh, that's good. I I wanted you to hear that because it further validates, you know, my irrational fears which uh, about primates. So I just just wanted you to hear that. All right. I'll check in with you next hour. Uh, Jeff Howell, check in with us next hour with our next Longhorn Notebook. We have other inconceivable. When we come back on light the Tower on the Horn, 1049-1019-AM1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.
0: Inconceivable. Inconceivable.
4: Inconceivable. Inconceivable. You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means.
1: are primates so there was that but we've got a couple other topics to get to first of all cam did you hear i, I heard uh, bucky and aaron talking about this yesterday this is a uh, a biological annual event is the best best way to describe this and uh have you heard about this big blob of of seaweed that's headed for the florida coast Have you heard about this?
3: No. I was going to say we covered the uh, raining worm storm in Beijing, China, yesterday on Inconceivable, but not the uh, seaweed storm.
1: Well, they were talking about yesterday. This is the thing that happens. We have a little bit of an update on it. Uh, it, it, Basically what the story is, it's a giant blob of seaweed. How giant, do you say? You know, what is it, several hundred yards wide? No, it's 5,000 miles wide. It weighs an estimated 6.1 million tons, and it's threatening to blanket Florida beaches and Caribbean islands with uh, this this brown, goopy stuff. It's called sargassum. Now, it's the scientific sargassum. Sargassum. S A R G A S S U M. Sargassum. It's uh, that's the scientific name, and it could start piling up in the Florida Keys in the next few days. And scientists are expecting Miami Beach itself to become a hot spot in what's known as the sargassum season. It runs from March to October where you start seeing some seaweed. I've been fortunate that where where I go to the beach in North Carolina, you see some, but you don't see much. A little bit washes up here and there. It's kind of almost a novelty there. Well, it's no novelty in Florida. And this particular sargassum bloom, as they call it, is shaping up to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, ever recorded. Since 2011, it's been a combination of human activity and climate change that's created the string of unusually large seaweed blobs. And every year for the past five years has set a new record for the biggest blob ever. Now, the seaweed itself is harmless, but here's the problem. First of all, it harbors jellyfish. And then there's some other stinging and biting sea life. Uh, Cam, have you ever heard of sea lice? No. I think I'm going to name my next fantasy football team the <laughs> sea lice. Um, now, when the sargasm washes ashore in big quantities, it can create headaches. Here's the other problem. When it lands on the beach, it rots pretty quickly in the sunshine. And when it rots, it stinks to high heaven Mm. it smells really bad and chases away tourists they say it's it's that rotten egg odor of decaying seaweed it's caused by the release of hydrogen sulfide which can also create issues for residents who might have chronic respiratory problems so heavy seaweed Deposits can also smother the young turtles that typically hatch on the beaches between August and October. Plus, it's expensive. Miami-Dade County spends millions of dollars a year clearing the seaweed piles, either by cutting them up and mixing them into the sand or hauling truckloads of sargassum off the landfill. So if you're planning a trip to Florida, and it could happen soon if you've got some spring break travel going to Fort Lauderdale or something like I did when I was in college, just... Be aware, you might run into the seaweed issues, the sargassum. Okay, there's a
3: Hollywood producer out there somewhere, Craig, who's thinking about turning this storm into a murdering type movie on the coast of Florida? Some, there's something going on here. There's got to be a movie down the line, right? I got a title for it: Sargassum
1: Cocaine or Cocaine <laughs> Sargassum, right? Uh, you know, it could be, it could be that. I don't know. Um, all right, uh, a couple other things. Uh, this is not pleasant at all, uh, and it did not take place in Florida, and it did not take place in Oklahoma. It took place in Chico, California, where authorities are investigating the discovery of a man's body near the entrance of a grocery store called Food Max with two X's on the end. Like you're going to a you know one of those adult video stores that have all the X's on it, but this is a grocery store. It's called Food Max with two X's. Um, But here's here's the deal. They didn't just find the body near the entrance of the store. Dude was in a shopping cart. The man was found wrapped in a plastic sheet inside a shopping cart and apparently had been left dead for multiple days before anyone even noticed. Now, that's got California written all over it. You know, there's a shopping cart not far from the entrance to the grocery store. And there's been this body wrapped in plastic. And it's been there for several days until finally over the weekend, somebody called and said, "Uh, I think you got a dead body outside your grocery store. So the police show up. EMS confirmed the man was dead and had suffered visible injuries. The injuries and the suspicious circumstances of the body wrapped in plastic has triggered a homicide investigation by the Chico Police Department. Uh, the investigator told a local news outlet, Action News Now, that security video from the grocery store was being reviewed by the police and it said, we were able to see some movement. We were able to see the shopping cart and perhaps the suspect. It was there for days. I don't know how long, but for days. The uh, name of the victim has not been released. The police statement did not indicate if the suspect had been identified the Chico Police Crime Map shows that no other homicides have been occurred in the uh, area in the past 12 months. The most recent annual crime report is from 2021 and stated two homicides for Chico. So there you go. You uh, know what
3: the uh, what, what grocery store it was, Craig? Did you say food it? Max with two X's.
1: Food Max.
3: I thought maybe That's, it was going to be Food Lion, but
1: uh, okay. Not Food Lion. Not Food Lion. No, Food Max with two X's. Uh, So, yeah, the body. I I mean, I'm looking at the front of the garage. It's a full-on supermarket. It's not like a convenience store. It's a full-on supermarket. Food max with two X's there and a dead body. All right, uh, coming up here, we're also going to check in with our good friend Gene Watson, the uh, assistant general manager of the Kansas City Royals. We like to uh, check in with him on occasion, get the spring training baseball update, world baseball uh, classic going on as well. So we'll uh, we'll uh, check in with him on that. Jeff Howe has another longhorn notebook coming up next hour, and we'll tell you about what potential major upsets could happen in the NCAA tournament, at least one bureau's opinion. This is Light the Tower from Des Moines on the Horn.